Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints and worship in the word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. We are continuing on this morning in our series on advancing the kingdom. Um, We started last Sunday. I would encourage you, if you missed it, go back and listen. It just kind of sets the tone for where we're going this whole month. And just kind of at the simplest level, we were really defining what God's kingdom looks like. He's the king, we're not, but that's a conscious decision that we make in life to allow him to be the king in our lives. And then watch how that has a ripple effect to touch everything in our lives, in our homes, and around us. And so now what we're going to begin to talk about, you know, we were just kind of the definition of what the kingdom is. It's valuable, it's important, and that the entry point really is just deciding to repent. Um, which is more than just saying, I'm sorry for bad things I've done. It's, it's a realignment of my life. God, I'm realigning my life to allow you to be king. And so there's little ways that we do that every step of the way in our walk with Jesus. And so now this morning, we're really going to talk about how to advance the kingdom by seeing it expand in my life first. Seeing it expand in my life first. Before we talk about taking it out there, I need to begin to to watch what does it look like when God expands his kingdom rule and reign in my life and my home. And so really simply this morning, we're going to talk about obedience. It's our favorite topic, right? Isn't that great? Doesn't it get your kids excited at home when the topic of obedience comes up? They're just thrilled. Yes, mom and dad, tell me more. I can't wait to walk in obedience. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So I think maybe we ought to pray before we jump into this. What do y'all think? That would be good, right? All right. So Lord Jesus, um, would you do a miracle in our hearts today? God, would, would you help us have a fresh vision for the, the beauty and the joy of obedience? God, if that's been damaged in some way, maybe from our childhoods growing up or um, difficult work experiences with our bosses in this world or whatever the case may be, Lord, would you help us catch your heart and vision for obedience? And, and just grow into that more and more. Jesus, you made it clear that while you walked this earth, you loved your father and you obeyed your father and that you wanted us to experience that same thing. So would you teach us about that this morning and equip us to walk this out? It's in your name we pray, amen, amen. So as our launching off point this week, we're gonna jump off where we ended last Sunday. So there's a verse I wanna read and then I'm gonna reread a quote by Dallas Willard as well just as we move into talking about the importance of obedience. So in in the great commission that we often use when we're talking about Jesus' call for us to go and carry his kingdom out to the world in need, and it usually helps drive like our our mission focused and being evangelists in our communities, I really want you to hear this through the context of kingdom language and, and us following Jesus. Watch what he says here, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, what we were just singing about, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So invite people into a redefinition of their life. They're, they're now identified as belonging to me. But he says, go make disciples of them, an apprentice, someone who's, who's growing and learning from their master. And so he gets very specific here in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, learning his instructions and following them. It's obedience. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Uh, the, if you miss everything else this morning, I hope you make this connection right here. Obedience and relationship are meant to go hand in hand. He says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. It's meant to be understood in the context of relationship. Dallas Willard put this so well. We read this last Sunday. We kind of wrapped up with this last week. He says, by relying on his, talking about Jesus, talking about the Lord, by relying on his word and presence, we are enabled to reintegrate the little realm that makes up our life into the infinite rule of God. And that is the eternal kind of life. Caught up in his active rule, our deeds become an element in God's eternal history. Friends, the the bottom line is this. Obedience is about having a real, active relationship with God. At times, obedience will be difficult and challenging. But ultimately, big picture, it produces joy. Produces joy. And so we are are partaking of a relationship with a person. It's his word, his instructions, but it's the person of Jesus. That's, that's, That's the importance of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. He's with us and in us. So the word really comes alive. And we can engage not just with the word of God, but with the God of the word. We can really know him and walk with him. And so this is about cultivating a relationship. I think far too often in church circles, whether it's, it's taught or it's just something that's implied or just maybe in our own weakness, we kind of stumble into it. It's like we come to Jesus in this relational way, like look at his love for me on the cross. It moves my heart. I respond to him. And then now it's like he goes, okay, shoot, go do good stuff. And like now my job is just to kind of memorize some rules to follow and do the stuff. That's not his intent. He's brought us into a relationship and that relationship grows and flourishes as we get to know him and as we follow his direction. So what we're gonna do this morning as we begin to unpack this is we're gonna look at some of Jesus' parables. I've just, I've got a few of them this morning. We're gonna work our way through. Um, But the reason we're doing that And the reason Jesus taught in parables, it's not just because they're word pictures that help us learn. The parable itself is actually a challenge. Because Jesus told us that parables actually will purposely confuse people. Isn't that weird? Look, let me show you this. Jesus, one of the most famous parables is the parable of sower, right? You guys know that that parable? I'm going to paraphrase it here. Jesus shows up. There's all these people around to hear him speak. And he shows up and he goes, a guy had some seed, threw some on the ground. Some of it landed on a sidewalk. Some of it landed among rocks. Some of it landed among thorns. Some of it landed on good soil. 
The first three, and none of it really worked. The last one, it grew and produced a lot. The end. That's what he said to the crowd. Like when I think of that parable, I immediately go, oh, but no, he said like the thorns represents this and the rocks represent. He didn't say that. He had a captive audience, a huge crowd of people. And he just told a weird story about a guy sowing seed. And if you're listening, you're going, this guy, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Why did this guy sow seed on a path where we just bounce off? That doesn't make any logical sense. Why would you sow seed in random rocky ground? Like, I'm no gardener, but like, it seems obvious that you would prepare some really good soil and that's where you would put the seed. I mean, it just, it's almost nonsensical. Like, what is he talking about? Why is he saying this? And so Jesus' disciples, after they hear this story, they come to him later when they were alone. And Matthew gives us a description of this. Matthew 13, verses 10 and 11. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. What was the defining difference between the disciples and everyone else who heard? The disciples sought him out for answers. They pursued him and said, What are you talking about? What's going on here? What are you up to? And so a parable, as much as it is a word picture, guys, it's really like, it's like bait. You know, Jesus is going fishing for people and it's like bait. Hey, you see that? You want to take a bite of that and see what I've got for you? Come on. And so he, he gives us these words that lead to life, but in and of themselves, if they just sort of land and bounce off, it produces nothing. The good soil is the disciples who go, what's up with that? Tell me more. I got to understand that. Okay, Jesus, I believe in you and trust you. So you must be up to something here. What are you saying? We pursue him in relationship to grab hold of his words and watch what happens when they trickle down into our life. And so I want to encourage you this morning as we go into this, my hope and Jesus' hope is that his followers would have some, some kingdom curiosity that I would have a desire to hear what he's really saying. That he's offering me a path to life. That he's told me it's an abundant life. That it's a good life. And so will I actively pursue him? God, what are you saying? What are you up to? What does that mean? So three parables this morning we're going to look at. The first one is a really simple one. It's found in Matthew 13. And we're going to look at obedience here. Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32. So this is the mustard seed. And Jesus put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and make a nest in its branches. A tiny little seed that has the potential to grow into a tree is a huge act of faith. In fact, the person that would do something like that has some vision for something beyond their current moment. 
If I choose, it's one thing to plant seeds that might grow into just like a, a yearly crop. That still takes some faith and some patience. But a seed that's going to grow into a tree, that, that's a belief in the future. That's an act of hope. That something this small could turn into this. Guys, obedience, cooperating with the king. I'm, I need to catch a vision for what that might look like in the long haul. So let me try to give you an example of this. Right now, my wife and I are going through the process of remodeling our kitchen. All right? Uh, not fun. Pretty difficult. Lots of work. All right? Um, but when we set out to do this, first of all, when we first bought this house four years ago, we looked at the kitchen and thought, we're, we're going to have to remodel this thing eventually. So four years ago, we had a rough idea that we wanted it to be different. By the spring of this year, mostly my wife, with very little input from me, thank God, had a great vision for what it would become. And so with this vision in mind, we started the process. See, I think for many of us, when, when I think of obedience in God's kingdom, I think about all the things I'm supposed to stop doing. Well, that's like planning the remodel just for the sake of tearing out the old stuff. Like, that's not the point. The point's not, I got to get those old floors out and tear this old wall out and get rid of those old nests. The point is what we're building towards. We, we did the remodel, not just because we didn't like what was there, but because we were excited about what was going to come. Look at what it's going to be. Jesus says, listen, yeah, it starts with a little seed, but look what it grows into. This tree that provides shade and a place to nest and like, and look at how it's, it's larger, healthier, bigger than everything else that grows here. Like, look what it becomes. Guys, choosing to walk in obedience is about trusting Jesus that he has a beautiful future in store for us. I want to see his kingdom come and like fix all the problems I see in the world. Well, what if a little bit of that started in my life and in my home first? Church, we want to see our country be a better place. We want to see things change. Well, guess what? Some people somewhere need to be able to come in and catch a vision of what, what it could look like. It's an act of faith even just to say, let's gather as a church and watch what would happen if we would all obey Jesus. What could be produced here? What sort of a tree could be created here where others could come and find fruit, find shelter, catch a vision for how life could be different with Jesus? It starts here, catching a vision. Listen, look at Peter's life. Jesus' introduction to Peter is simply, Come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Peter did become a fisher of men. Three and a half years later. After all kinds of ups and downs. One minute he's saying something awesome. He's doing the right thing. The next minute Jesus is like calling him Satan. I mean, it's just like a roller coaster ride. And it wasn't even just a steady upward trajectory. Three and a half years in, he denies him three times in the most critical moment of Jesus' life. I don't even know him. But Jesus hangs in there with Peter. Peter hangs in there with Jesus. 
even in his biggest moment of failure, Jesus reconfirms that love relationship with him. And this flawed, imperfect guy who's been slowly but steadily walking with the Lord stands up on Pentecost and becomes a fisher of men as he shares about the hope that is found in Jesus. And 3,000 people get saved and the church is born. Obedience is, is, it starts with, will I believe that, that, and will I trust what Jesus is saying that this will produce something beautiful? Not just what needs to be gotten out of my life, what does he want to build in my life? What is he up to? What remodeling does he want to do? Maybe in, in the internal workings of my heart and mind. Like what's going on right in here? What does he want to do in my home life? What does he want to do to transform things in my marriage, in my relationships? See, obedience is about trusting God and then cooperating with his action in our life. It's about trusting God and then cooperating with his action, something he's up to. So that kind of leads us into our next parable this morning, another seed analogy. I'm gonna call this the parable of the patient sower, the patient sower. So we already mentioned the one where the guy goes out and sows seeds into different places. But Jesus told another parable of a sower in Mark's gospel, chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. In this analogy of the kingdom, the sower like has a little bit of an active role, but mostly just kind of patiently waiting for the seed to do its work. So much of obedience is really just allowing God to be at work in our lives and waiting while that slowly produces something. Like the sower puts the seed in the ground and then what does he do? He plants it and he waits. Now in his waiting, he's attentive. Like there's this, this he says he rises night and day. So there's, an, a, there's a daily attentiveness, but the results of where this is going are out of his control. Is that seed going to germinate? Is it going to grow healthy enough to actually produce something? He's attentive. He's watching. He's participating. But there's an element that is out of his control. Guys, walking in obedience doesn't mean all of the weight and pressure is on me. There, there is stuff that the Lord does that only he can do. Cooperating with him allows him to transform our lives. It allows him to do that. I have, I've walked with people in marriages, for example, over the years where like we've sat in our living room with people and cried tears and shared, shared whatever we had to share, which really is just, hey, we're just struggling along too, but Jesus. And sometimes I feel like I'm giving like the simplest advice but see, it's not about brilliant advice. About, it's about two people willing to actually take that to heart and start to walk it out. But all I can see is this moment. All I can see is how they're blowing it. 
and how that's harming our relationship and how it's making things difficult. All I can see is my own failure and, and inability in this. And I'm just struggling along and I just can't see beyond the moment. But if I would just take God at his word, that what he does produces something good. And if I would just start to put that into practice, the little bit that I can control, my yes, my obedience is my cooperation. His part produces wonderful transformation. Where all of a sudden, a little bit at a time, wow, I think things are starting to change now. I look back and go, wow, God, look what you did there. This is unbelievable. But it's just, it's step by step, moment by moment. Like obedience, not only is it just choosing to believe in the future of what it might produce, obedience is also just about daily perseverance. I'm just gonna hang in there following Jesus trusting that this next step he's called me to will ultimately produce fruit. Um, I had several years of my life, I mean, to a degree, my whole adult life, but for several years of my life um, in ministry at another church, youth ministry, then associate pastor, and the Lord was stirring stuff in our hearts for years to one day plant a church, be a, be a lead pastor to church, whatever term you want to use there, but just kind of helping to really set the tone and direction of a church. And one of the things I started to really wrestle with is, how do you measure success in church life? And like, you go around and ask that question, and it doesn't get answered sometimes at all. And it certainly doesn't get answered very well in most church circles. And about the only answer I could ever get from anybody was, well, if things are going well, it'll get bigger and more money will come in. Some of that was communicated in pretty cynical ways. Some of it was communicated in a practical way. Like, hey, I, I don't know. I don't know how to measure stuff, but if people are coming, I guess we're doing something right was kind of the idea. And I just struggled with that forever. And it was like, I don't know why it took me so long, probably just because I'm stubborn, I'm hard-headed or whatever. But it's like, the problem was the very question itself. I'm wrapped up in trying to figure out how to measure results. And that's not the point. How do I know if I'm being successful in church planting? The same way I might know how I'm being successful in my marriage or in my job. I just need to do my part to be obedient. He takes care of the results. That's the point of that parable. The sower just kind of has to show up and do his part, but like the results are going to take care of themselves. Listen, I've seen this in painful ways. Guys, we were four years into a church plant and just really starting to feel like, man, we, things have taken root. It feels like we're really kind of established now. We're growing. The Sunday before COVID hit was like the biggest Sunday we had ever had. It was packed out in here. I think it was like 120 people in the room. COVID comes, it pauses. We can't meet in the school. We're doing some online video stuff. We start to put feelers out by that summer. Like, hey, are we ready to meet? And had people fill out a survey and felt like we had some direction and momentum. And, and we showed up and we met in this room for five weeks in July. And I think the very first week of August, something like that in 2020. Of those five weeks, the largest Sunday we had was 15 people. If I measure by results in that moment, we have failed. It's a devastating moment. And, and of those 15 people, it was all the people who had volunteered to come set everything up. So by the fifth time, I'm just looking at everybody. I'm like, guys, I just can't keep putting us all through this. Like, we're setting up for nobody. Like, we may as well just go hang out at somebody's house this afternoon. 
We can just do that. Listen, I, I still don't know how to measure what success. I don't know. We're just going to be obedient. We're going to be obedient to Jesus as a church. I want to be obedient to Jesus in my life individually and just trust him with the results. See, this, this isn't one of those messages that just gets everybody fired up and ready to take the hill, right? It's like, it feels so basic, but it's so vitally important. It's vitally important. Listen, it's so life-giving to just choose to stick it out with Jesus, to hold on to him, to trust him. I don't know where this is going, but he does. And he's told me it's good. And he's told me to trust him. It's going to produce fruit. And so instead of just trying to overanalyze everything all the time, which, man, that's me. I'm like a serial overanalyzer. But what if I just embrace the simplicity of I don't have to figure it out. I'm just called to obey a God who loves me and who told me he would never leave me and never forsake me. And he, he promised me this will produce something good. See, this is what, what life in the spirit is all about. Another growing analogy here. Galatians chapter five, verse 22 through 25. Y'all, y'all are familiar with this, right? The description of the fruit of the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there's no law. I love how I love how Paul connects both law and like dealing with our old sin nature all in one one element here. Against such, there's no law. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, right? That's tearing out the old stuff for the remodel. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We rarely read those next two verses when we read the, the description of the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is a natural byproduct of a healthy tree that's growing. And by the way, often the fruit doesn't show up till quite a bit later. Trees can't just force the, boom, there's the apple, it popped out. But a lot of times that's how we view this stuff. I got to make myself be more patient. No, I need to walk with Jesus. I need to learn to just daily be in step with the spirit of God. If I, if I embrace that relationship and I walk with him and I just begin to obey as best as I'm able along the way. This isn't about perfection, but it's with an attitude of obedience. The general direction of my life is I'm following him. I'm letting him be king. And little by little, step by step, he will produce fruit. That will change me and it will change my relationships. And then that tree can begin to be a place that affects the lives around me. Then the kingdom can begin to advance because it is first advanced here. Little by little, step by step, walking with the Lord. All right, one last parable. It's the parable of the leaven. It's one verse, Matthew 13, verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. 
See, the idea here is that slowly but surely, God's kingdom permeates everything. Slowly but surely, it permeates my whole life. And when leaven has done its work, it literally changes the structure. It changes the structure. Like, it becomes something different. This element spread throughout, it blossoms, it grows. Now I got this nice, fluffy, warm slice of bread, get the soft butter out, slap it on. Oh man, that is good to eat. Or it's going to be hard like a cracker if that leaven hasn't come in and done its work. It permeates over time. I want to give you a sense of what this could look like. I want to give you all some practical stuff to walk this out. And so I want to encourage you. This is just one example. But we, we were told our starting point this morning is teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. So the idea is let's take the words of Jesus. Let's learn to do what the disciples did where they would go to him and say, what's up with that? Talk to me about that. Teach me about that. And so I take his words and I take them in and I let them begin to really change the structure of my life, permeate my life. So this isn't just like, let me race through the gospels. I've read them, check, done. No, this is like sitting and absorbing the word of God in relationship with him. So I want to give you a one place to start. You could start with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. I'll give you a couple little tidbits of this as an example. You got an issue with anger or there's a very particular relationship in your life that is incredibly difficult or challenging. Look at Jesus' words here, Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Does anybody like that verse? I I do not. (laughs) I am not a fan of that verse on its surface. I don't want to love my enemies and I definitely don't want to pray for them. And if I read a verse like that, not just in passing, but with the intention of obeying him. And I'm in a real situation with not an imaginary person, but a real person that I know that I can picture and go, God, that person right there, that difficult person, this very hard situation, Jesus, you're asking me to love my enemy. How do I do that? What do I do? How could I possibly? And that's the perfect starting point. See, if I just read it and move on, or just go, well, on my own, I guess I'm going to try to love them. No, I come with some honesty to the Lord and go, Jesus, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to love my enemy. I don't know how you were up on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It kind of looks to me like they know exactly what they're doing. Seemed pretty purposeful and intentional to kill me right now. But somehow you looked at them and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know. Jesus, help me with this. I can tell you guys in my life, like I was in a situation where I needed this and it wasn't working. And I had to go to him and say, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I do not know how to love that person. In fact, I have every reason to give up hope and to just move on. And yet, It interrupts my sleep in the middle of the night. I'm stressed and anxious about it constantly. It's a, I'm carrying this around with me. God, how do I do this? 
And so I'm like, read it. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Oh, okay, that's something I can do. I can't love my enemy yet, but I can start praying for him. So I did. Started praying for this person. God, touch their life. God, may they have an encounter with you. Began to pray for my own heart towards that person. God, would you help me to forgive? I know I'm supposed to. I don't want to. I don't feel like it. And by the way, they haven't even apologized. So why would I forgive? God, help me forgive. And I can tell y'all over a long period of time, because it takes this guy a while. But over a long period of time, I began to be able to forgive. And I began to be able to look at this person, not with anger, but with compassion. Because little by little, step by step, Jesus helped me get there. It took time. And then even by the point where I was in a good place and I'm ready to work this out and I want to resolve it, they weren't. And so then there was patience. All right, Lord, I'm just going to keep loving, just going to keep loving, just going to keep loving. Guys, a lot of this stuff seems simple on the surface, but walking it out takes perseverance. But I trust, God, would you allow this to permeate my life? And so I take his word, I take his command, I take his direction, and I go to him with it. Jesus, help me do that. And he loves that. Because I'm learning to ask him to do what only he can do. Only he can change and transform my heart and life. But he needs someone who's willing, who's yielded. So little by little, step by step. So that's an example. There's some other examples in here. I'm not going to unpack them in the same way. Money. Like, man, if you're struggling with money, how do you handle your finances? You've gotten yourself into debt or just whatever. Like, take, take your money to him and watch what he'll do. Matthew 6, 24. Jesus says real simply, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is saying, I can teach you how to serve me first and make your money line up with what I'm going to teach you about it. And so I can come to him with my, my finances and watch him do that. Man, you're struggling with like fear, worry, anxiety. Jesus wants to address that. Matthew 6, 26 and 27. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Sometimes the act of obedience is just simply to recognize how highly valued we are. Wait, God, that's my act of obedience today? Recognize you value me? And you're going to take care of me and you love me. That I can stop all the spinning and the toiling and just rest in that reality. Over and over and over again, his words are life. And he invites us to engage with his words and engage in an active relationship where we're learning more and more to rely on him. It's an act of trust, believing. God, you want to build something beautiful. You want to change something dramatically in my life. And if if I will choose to let your kingdom come and your will be done right here, 
that you're going to be faithful to do it. I want to kind of wrap things up with another Dallas Willard quote. Love this guy. And I've kind of placed this here on purpose because as we move forward in the series, like from this point forward, the next three weeks, we are going to talk about advancing the kingdom, like taking it out, reaching people for Jesus, ministering to people's lives. But we, we have to see where the real power of God's kingdom at work where it's rooted. So I want to read this quote to you, Dallas Willard. More than any other single thing in any case, the practical irrelevance of actual obedience to Christ accounts for the weakened effect of Christianity in the world today. More than anything else he's saying, all of the ways that Christianity struggles to like advance, have an impact, What's really causing Christianity to be weakened in our day is real people who actually intend to obey Jesus. That's what he's saying. And he goes on. Instead, what do we do? We have this increasing tendency to emphasize political change or social action as the primary ways to serve God. I've got all these brilliant ideas and here's how it's going to fix all this stuff out here. And we're not just willing to sit down and say, I just ought to obey. What if I just did that? What if a whole bunch of the people who call him savior just actually decided to live their life in such a way that we're going to obey him? That's where the real power lies. He says it also accounts for the practical irrelevance of Christian faith to individual character development and overall personal sanity and well-being. See, the idea of Jesus' life, his kingdom permeating my life it integrates into every area of my life. And so I become a person where it, when more and more, when God's kingdom is just kind of infiltrated all of my life, it's permeated my life, it's integrated into my life, I begin to live a life of integrity. And integrity doesn't just mean I, I can be trusted to do the right thing. Think about like a building where you say like that building, like it, it's, has integrity. It's solid. It can stand. It can last. It's going to function properly. The foundation is sure. Jesus promised to us is that if we choose to walk in obedience and we allow this to permeate our life, that the structure is solid and that it will weather any storm, that that's where real impact is at. This is how he wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount. I want to close with these words, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine, does he stop there? And does them. Will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. What's he talking about? Structural integrity. If you will hear what I have to say and you will live it out, you'll apply it in your life. You're going to be like the person who's built their house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great 
was the fall of it. Sadly, you know what seems to be promised to everyone in this situation? Rain, storms, flood. In this life, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I've overcome the world, he said. Friends, it's a, it's a simple message. But it's powerful. It's life-changing. If we can catch a vision for the simplicity of a life that intends to follow Jesus, to take him seriously, to take his word seriously, to believe that even the little smallest step of obedience will produce much fruit, to persevere in just the day-to-day with him, believing that, that over time, his kingdom is permeating my life and it will have an impact. I will find that my life has built been built upon something that lasts, that will withstand whatever comes our way. See, so much of even our Christian teaching on like obedience and our finances is a big example, but in lots of ways, our obedience, our faithful action, so much of our teaching on that is rooted in convincing people that everything's going to be perfect. You honor God with your finances and you are going to be richly blessed. No, you may go bankrupt and lose everything, but you'll weather the storm because your life is built on him, the firm foundation. He's the solid rock on which we stand. Friends, there is great power in individual people, in homes, in churches and communities, that purpose to let his kingdom come and his will be done in our lives. And the fruit of it is not only what it produces in us, the fruit of it is that the weary and the tired and the struggling in this world have somewhere to come to find hope, to find rest, and to find their own vision of what it could look like to give their life to Christ. I need that in my life. Our city needs us to live like this, to be obedient to Jesus. How cool would it be if when people walked in here, they just, they encountered this shade tree where they found good fruit. They found rest for their weary souls. They found hope in a hard world. If we just yield our lives to Christ, he'll do powerful things just like that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you teach us to observe everything that you commanded? And you would, would you remind us regularly, daily, that you are with us always, even to the end of the age? God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the promise of a life built upon you and upon your words. Jesus, would you help all of us to be the kind of people who choose to actively obey you? to take your kingdom seriously, that there are things that you want to do in our hearts and lives, that there are things you want to do in our homes, that you want to do in this church community right here, that you want to do in our city and beyond. And God, would would we just choose to have this kind of vision to believe for what you'll produce in the long run? And God, would we purpose 
day by day, step by step, to keep in step with your word, to keep in step with your spirit, and to watch what happens when you permeate our lives with your kingdom. God, would your kingdom come and would your will be done on my life, in my family, in this church, in Knoxville, as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.